Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. really dumb movies. Uh, Pink Panther, uh, Nacho, uh, and a variety of others. In your bulletin, there is a paragraph there that I wrote, and it says this, in the very dumb movie, The Three Amigos... And maybe I'm the only one that has seen it because it's really dumb. Uh, The outlaw used a word that has become popular to describe a large or excessive amount of something. A large or excessive amount of something. The line the outlaw uses is, do you think I have a plethora of piñatas? Just just for fun, laugh because I think it's funny. Now you got in the context. You got to see see that it's funny. The word plethora, the idea of an, a large or excessive amount of something, the word plethora surely applies to Mark chapter thirteen, as there are a large and excessive amount of theories as to what this passage means. Now, if you remember, for the last few weeks, we have uh, moved ahead in our Mark passage to get to Friday and Saturday and Sunday of the Passion Week. Good Friday, quiet Saturday, and then Easter Sunday. We, We moved ahead. And I said, don't worry, we'll come back to Mark chapter 13 And so we are back to Mark chapter 13, and it is still Wednesday of the Passion Week in Mark chapter 13. Jesus spent an exorbitant amount of time on Wednesday in the temple teaching and preaching and sharing the kingdom and answering all kinds of questions uh, from the people that were there. And so Mark chapter 13 is the conclusion of Wednesday of the Passion Week. When Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, a few weeks ago now, the people wanted to immediately crown him as king. Immediately crown him as king. That's what the whole thing was about. Jesus entered on a donkey, went down the road, they laid their palm branches down, they laid their cloaks down, and they wanted to immediately crown him as as king, but of course we know that that was not God's plan. However, the disciples did not let that concept go. They were not easily thwarted by Jesus saying no, not yet. And so they continued to ask, they continued to wonder about that. They believed Jesus came to set up his earthly kingdom right then and there. So the question most on the disciples' mind, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning, is when? When is all this going to happen? And even after the resurrection, they ask again, if you look in your Bibles in Acts chapter 1, 
Jesus now has resurrected and uh, he is getting ready to ascend into heaven. And Acts chapter 1 says this. So when they, uh, uh, verse 6 says, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. And then here's what he really wants to get across to the disciples because the time has not yet come for him to restore his kingdom. But he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. That's the church's responsibility to wait for the Lord to come back. Yes, of course, but ultimately to be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus is reminding his disciples, yes, the kingdom will be established. Yes, I will come again. But your job right now in what we might call the church age is to share the good news with people. And so after the resurrection, uh, well, actually before the resurrection in Mark chapter 13, and I should let you know Luke chapter 21 and Matthew chapter 24 and 25, parallel passages. In this chapter, Jesus answers that question about when will the end times come? And as I shared, there are a plethora of ideas about the interpretation of Mark chapter 13, Luke chapter 21, Matthew chapter 24 and 25. One possible chapter 13 outline is what we're going to talk about this morning. There are many, as I shared, in fact, there are four main understandings of these chapters, and I made a chart of those four ideas, and it's sitting right over there. So if you'd like to uh, take a peek at that, you can. We're going to take a look at one of these. And so what we're going to do is we are going to actually read the entire chapter of Mark 13 and go through quickly the outline, the possible outline. And you are going to notice right up here, boom, and next, one possible chapter 13 outline. Let's go ahead and put all four of those ideas there. All right, that's what we're going to look at as we're taking a look at uh, our chapter 13 uh, passage today. This will be our text. We are going to nail in, uh, draw in to uh, verses 1 through 13 this morning, but I wanted to give you a full picture. All right, Mark chapter 13, take your Bible. And as I shared, this is one possible outline for Mark chapter 13. As the disciples were leaving the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And Jesus says, Do you see all these great buildings? Replied Jesus, Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be torn down. And if you look at our outline here, they, Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple. That's verses 1 and 2 right here. And then chapter uh, 13, 3 through verse 13 has to do with what we're going to call present history, what we're living in right now. You might call it the church age. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, the two sets of brothers there, 
asked him privately, tell us when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? And then if you have a red letter Bible, as I do, the rest pretty much of Mark chapter 13 is Jesus' words. Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and he will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what, you, about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and father, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. So if you look up at our outline here, this is talking about the present history. And we're going to talk more in depth about that in a moment. The next few verses there have to talk about what we would call the tribulation time. So toward the very end before the second coming of Christ. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand and let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to his cloak, to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequal from the beginning. When God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were even possible. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fly, uh, fly from the, fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And then if you look up at our outline, actually it should be uh, 14 to 25. And then the bottom there, this is my fault, 26 to 36. This would refer then to the second coming in this possible outline of Mark chapter 13. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as, the, as its twigs get tender and, it le and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And then verse 32 to the end. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. That is the reading of God's Word. And so what we're going to look at are uh, basically some ideas here in verses 1 through 2 and then verses 3 through 13. And I got into a D, a D uh, phase here. So all of your... Uh, notes will start with a D, the letter D. And so you will see here that uh, the four D's of our dreary dominion. All right? Yeah, that's, that's clever. I, I think it's very clever. So thank you for that. Uh, we're going to look at these 13 uh, verses and we're going to talk about the four D's. This chapter was not really what the disciples wanted to hear. Because as you read this chapter, you can see that there is a length of time for these things to happen. They were not interested in a length of time for these things to happen. They said, hey, tell us when things are going to happen. And in fact, even after the resurrection, they say, is this the time? Is this the time? And Jesus says, no, no, it's not the time. And he says, what time it is, is for you to be my witnesses. But one thing that is true about this entire passage, this entire passage is that in between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, our world will be marked by relentless trouble. No doubt about it. And so our first D is destruction. First D is destruction. And basically Jesus is telling them that the temple will be destroyed. This thing that you think is awesome those guys came out and said, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what a magnificent building. And it was. Could have easily been one of the seven wonders of the world. It was amazing. And Jesus says, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And that happened in A.D. 70. Actually, it began to happen on August 10th, A.D. 70. It's history that the temple and the city of Jerusalem were completely destroyed beginning August 10th, 70 A.D. And the Roman general Titus burned it completely to the ground following a Jewish revolt in 66 A.D. So this is history. And Jesus proclaimed that it would happen. And so the beginning of Mark Chapter 13 talks about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And after the temple and city are destroyed, Jesus goes on to talk about what will happen, what we might call during the church age. And we are currently in the church age. And the next D is deception. Is deception. And that's what it says here in verses 5 and 6. 
Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. While history is waiting for Jesus to come back, there will be a barrage, and we're very aware of this, of false Christs, false messiahs, false prophets, false teachers. It is funny because you can find anything and everything on the internet. And so if you go and Google false teachers, you'll begin to get lists. Ah, lists. The lists include some people that I'm thinking, why would Dr. David Jeremiah be on one of the lists? Why would Billy Graham be on one of the lists? So be careful when you Google false teachers because your list may include some misrepresentation. But the main idea, the way that you figure out what a false teacher is, is by matching them up to this. By matching them up to God's Word. That is how you find a false teacher. Now, many of us make mistakes. You know, one of the things that we do here is we train young men and women to be pastors in churches. And so Derek was with us. And uh, Derek made a mistake. He thought, because he was a relatively new Christian, I don't know if maybe some of you remember Derek, maybe some of you don't, he thought that John the Baptist and the Apostle John were the same guy. Well, we know that's not the way it is. And so we graciously said, Derek, you know, that's, that's not the way that is. And he did some research and he came back and said, yeah, you're right, those aren't the same guys. All of us, all of us make mistakes. But what makes false teachers different than just people who make mistakes in their translation? In fact, somebody said that probably 85% of the time we are right, even if we are evangelical Christians, and 15% of the time we may be wrong in some of the things that we're teaching. But those are just mistakes. What makes a false teacher false is how they teach about the very heart of Christianity. The very heart of Christianity. What do they believe about the Trinity? All right, that's a, that's a, that, 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 that is a foundational uh, doctrine of Christianity. What do they believe about atonement? How can one be saved? What do they believe about the cross? What do they believe about resurrection? What do they believe about the person of Christ? Those are the fundamental biblical doctrines of our Christian faith. And false teachers will twist and weave their way into making false representation about those important heart of Christianity doctrines. And so that's what this is saying. During these last days that we are in, there will be all kinds of crazy people that will come on the scene and try to twist and turn their way through Christian doctrine. And so really, uh, men and women of the faith, we've got to be good students of God's Word. And that's why we have Bible studies at our church where we get together and we talk about these things. So as the second coming approaches, there will be more and more and more and more false teachers. The sec uh, third D 
is disaster. When you hear of wars, verse 7, wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. This verse, I think, summarizes the last 2,000 years for sure. We've never really known peace in our world. I went online to find out how much time of peace we've had since our existence. And online it says we have had 286 years of peace. That's it. 286 years of peace over our world's history with over 8,000 peace treaties having been made and broken. So we are living and we will continue to live in a time where there are wars and rumors of wars. And Jesus says, don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be an increase in the last days of earthquakes and of famines. And Luke adds the word pestilence. A pestilence is a fatal epidemic. I don't know. Interesting. And verse 8 says, the signs are just the beginning with these mild contractions, if you're talking about birth pains. And as time goes on, they will become more severe. And so, deception, disaster, and then the last of this church age is distress. Verses 9 through 13. These verses will show us toward the end that believers will be affected. It says, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Wherever you are arrested and whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. I don't think you need me to tell you that the world is continuing and getting more uh, severe in the area of hating Christians, hating Christianity. Jesus told us, in chapter John chapter 15, verse 18, that you will be hated. Jesus said, they hated me, they will hate you. I don't think we're, we should think as Christians that the world is going to get better for our Christianity. I think the world is going to get worse. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, all who live godly lives will be persecuted. I hate saying those words, but that, that's what the Bible says. And I'll tell you right now, it's going to get a lot worse. But verse 10 I think is interesting because in spite of the hatred, the gospel will continue to be preached in the whole world. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. So even though America is a tough place right now to share the gospel message, 
places like China and Russia and Brazil and other places around the world are having tremendous fruit with the gospel message. So the Bible will continue to be preached and we read, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. We've got something right here that is eternal. It's God's word. And then that last verse, verse 13, all men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Stand firm, will be saved. Let's just talk about that for just a second. The saved idea is not in your endurance. The saved idea is heaven. That, if you stand firm to the end, you will receive heaven. You don't earn your salvation by endurance, but you prove your salvation with endurance. All right? You don't earn your salvation by enduring to the end, but you prove your salvation with endurance. And we've seen this a lot. Superficial faith collapses under pressure. Superficial faith collapses under pressure or persecution. I'd like you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter, and we're going to conclude with this, this, uh, these few verses. 1 Peter and chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 3 through 7. 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 7, conclusion to our message today. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to re be revealed in the last time. In this, here's the verse, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a while, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So that is an outline. We are going to continue then uh, with verses uh, 14 to 25 and then the following week from verses 26 to 36. And as I shared, there are a plethora of ideas concerning the end times and there are some sheets there that you can pick up to get just kind of a an introduction at least I would like to say to you that if you like big words uh, I want to share with you what this idea here is that I'm sharing with you this is called Premillennial dispensationalism. All right? So you're going to go home and you're going to say, wow, I learned a big word about last times. Premillennial dispensationalism is the view, and as I shared, there are others that I gave you this morning. Premillennial dispensationalism. There you go. So at the bottom of your bulletin, 
to keep with our D idea is this phrase, don't shut the door on the Savior. All right? Don't shut the door on the Savior. You know what, folks? Uh, we are living in a precarious time, and that's why I like that song, My Hope is in the Lord. Uh, we are living in a precarious time. We really don't know what tomorrow brings, and so we, can, we, we need to be sure that we have secured, and as I talked at the funeral, funeral yesterday, uh, we need to be sure that our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Because that is the bottom line. That is the bottom line to our salvation story. If your name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the Bible is very clear. You will be thrown into the lake of fire. That's what the Bible says. So don't shut the door on the Savior. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, if someone doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. Today, they can invite you in. And they do that just by... Saying a prayer, Lord, come into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. That's a song that we used to sing as little children. And when we believe Jesus died on the cross, that Jesus rose from the dead, that he forgives our sins, that's when we invite Jesus in. And those are the things we talk about. In the side of the bulletin, there's an idea of how you can understand what it means to be a Christian. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but you do. You've been there. And that brings great encouragement to us. We know that our world is a tough place right now and will continue to get tougher. But we know, Lord, in spite of that, our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, which brings us hope and joy in the midst of trial and distress. Lord, thank you for our time in your word today. May it sink in. And may we not shut the door on the Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org. And come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.